Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. In the mid-1970s, a brilliant young cardiologist saved my grandfather's life. It was all thanks to Dr. Roman De Sanctis that Charlie lived for another 10 years. Roman is a family friend, married to my mother's best friend from high school, and he is a hero and an angel. Dr. De Sanctis went on to save many more lives. He spent his entire professional career at Massachusetts General Hospital, where an operating theater was dedicated in his name. Two weeks ago, I spent the afternoon with Roman at his home, not far from here. Now well into his 90s, he has just entered hospice. Until very recently, he still went into work every day, fully in possession of his prodigious mental faculties. He's finding the process of dying a bit boring. Despite being surrounded by his four adult daughters, he was very, very glad of a visitor with news of the world. He asked me a lot of questions about my family and he takes a very keen interest in you. He bemoaned the fragile state of our democracy, invoking the pride and patriotism of his Italian immigrant parents. We spoke at some length of death and hell, and he asked me to pray for him and pray with him, which I did, invoking his beloved Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I asked him for advice about all kinds of things, which he generously gave with his trademark brilliance and tremendous humility. I find myself reflecting on that advice today and having spent more time than the average bear with people who are dying, on their insights as well, sometimes urgent, often stripped of caution and the need to please, always, powerful. These are the five things I've heard over and over, many of them overlapping. Advice from the dying. One, cherish the ones you love. Those we love are our greatest treasure, our greatest treasure in the world cherish them. It's so easy to let precious moments with loved ones slide. We are so busy. I tell you, you will not regret cultivating deep connections and forging lasting bonds. It doesn't have to be fancy. Go for a walk, sit down together over tea or a meal. 
I will add to this that in the early days of the AIDS crisis, I would hug someone in line after the service on Sunday, and they would be dead within the week. It didn't happen just once. It happened all the time. It was a hard slap to the face way to learn that I might not get another chance to tell someone I love them. In May of 2005, Eugene O'Kelly, CEO of a huge accounting company, was told he had about 100 days to live. Nowhere near long enough to pretend it's far away, but not so brief as to leave time only for hasty goodbyes. He did two things. He wrote a slim memoir called Chasing Daylight, How My Forthcoming Death Transformed My Life. And he made a list, what he called the final and most important to-do list of my life. Eugene O'Kelly's list contained the names of people most important to him, and he contacted each of them making dates to meet in New York Central Park to, as he said, unwind their relationships. The last two people on the list were his daughter and his wife. During these encounters, he says, the ticking clock seemed to slow. Jolted into the present moment, it was as if I were gaining time, not running out of it. He concedes a bit reluctantly. You can call what I went through a spiritual journey. The lesson, in the end, it all comes down to love and relationships. And everyone misses their friends when they're dying. So tell them you love them now. Don't wait. None of us has that kind of time. Make time. Advice from the dying, too. Chase meaning. Happiness will follow. Shamanic teacher Carlos Castaneda, sharing the wisdom of his Yaqui teacher, Don Juan Matus, wrote, what do we really have except life and our own death. The thing to do when you're impatient, Don Juan told me, is to turn to your left and ask advice from your death. An immense amount of pettiness is dropped if you have the feeling that it is there watching you. When I remember to consult my death, when I'm willing to remember that my life is not endless, I find myself savoring, slowing down, appreciating sweet moments and small pleasures. A young man close to death says, happiness is in the smallest things. The dying tell us that when you live with an eye on the finish line, it can be profoundly inspiring. One woman says, when I got a terminal diagnosis, my priorities became crystal clear. Nothing that had mattered to me anymore mattered anymore, 
accept my loved ones. Another says, learning that my time was suddenly limited, I was free. And instead of becoming irresponsible, I became more responsible. I began to prioritize kindness and service. These last months, she says, have been the happiest in my life. Chase meaning. Happiness will follow. I wish, she says, that I'd figured this out sooner. Advice from the dying, three, end regret. Bronnie Ware, a hospice nurse in Australia, has ranked the top five regrets among her patients. They are, one, I wish I'd had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life others expected of me. Two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. Three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Four, I wish I'd stayed in touch with my friends. And five, I wish I'd let myself be happier. We have a choice as to whether or not we're going to live with regrets. The best advice I ever got about regret was from my friend Mike Ward of Blessed Memory, just five words, stop doing things you'll regret. <laughs> regret is not only about what has been said and done, it is as much about what remains unsaid and undone. In 1997, Pinky Jones was 15 minutes into a flight when an engine blew up and set the belly of the plane on fire. She writes, as the plane nosedived through the clouds, a great calm swept over me. I said a prayer, asking for forgiveness for any way I had failed to make the most of my life. I experienced the life review. Yes, my life flashed before my eyes. And I had one regret. I hadn't submitted my writing to publishers. I'd been too afraid of failure. In those moments of free fall, my fear of rejection seemed a paltry matter when compared to no longer having the opportunity to share my writing at all. By grace, the plane landed in the middle of the Arizona desert. Miraculously, no one was hurt. And so Pinky Jones flew her pages like paper airplanes out into the publishing world and became Pinky Jones, author and poet. The dying say, be brave, risk your authenticity. If you need to clear up a misunderstanding, do it today. Above all, do not hide your heart. In the late 1980s, there was bad blood between two of Provincetown's leading real estate agents. Someone had cut someone out of a deal, maybe, and they hadn't spoken in many years. 
This is not easy in a small town. They both joined the congregation. One Sunday morning, there they were, seated across the center aisle from each other. When it was time for the first hymn, one of them didn't have a hymnal. Who knows who made the first move? Who knows how the fact that AIDS was eviscerating that congregation might have inspired them to let bygones be bygones? It's a mystery. But suddenly there they were, sharing a hymnal, singing their hearts out together, while everyone else craned their necks to get a better view. Don't waste your time. And regret. Advice from the dying for don't wait. The golden years are not only when you're 80s or 90s or more. The golden years are now. Make them so. It's so important to honor our dreams along the way. Once we lose our health, it's too late. If you were told you had three months to live, would you be doing what you do right now? Obviously, there are some things that need doing, literally making a living, for example, but are there some things that really don't need doing? Don't wait to pivot and do something else. Prioritize your dreams. Starting with leaving the house. A 45-year-old living with a rare fatal disease writes, a joke a year before I was diagnosed, my husband joked, hey, why don't we cash out on our retirement and follow Motorhead and The Damned on tour through Europe? When I got the diagnosis, I thought we should have done that. My mantra, she continues, is to leave the house because you never know what's going to happen if you do. No interesting story ever started with, I went to bed at nine o'clock on a Tuesday evening. Part of not waiting is letting go of whatever isn't serving you. Whatever's in the way of loving and serving, whatever's in the way of your happiness. On the day she died, at age 27, Holly Butcher wrote, let it go. I swear you will not be thinking of all the things when it's your turn to go. They're all so insignificant when you look at life as a whole. Whinge less and help each other more. Don't wait. And advice from the dying five, be grateful. Every night, one man living on borrowed time writes down 10 things for which he's grateful. Another keeps a journal of the things that make him happiness, happiest and tries to do more of them. One woman says, play. Another says, take nothing for granted. This from a man who had been diagnosed with muscular dystrophy at the age of 15. His parents were amazing. Everything about their family's life pivoted to give their son the best possible days they could. And he tucked a whole life into the years that followed. He traveled the country, 
At 19, he rode a roller coaster. At 31, he was very weak. His voice was down to a whisper, and he had to take a shallow breath between every few words. It took him the better path part of an hour to eat a slice of pizza. He had, he said, about a year to live and no regrets. His advice, don't take life for granted. So finally, here's a little something about death. This is a story I've never told from the pulpit that has kept me good and mysterious company for close to 40 years. One day, early in my ministry, I got a call from a colleague I didn't know well, an elderly Christian Unitarian minister. He was serving our congregation in Barnstable, Massachusetts. He asked me if I would come attend a very special event at his church, though he was vague on the details. It was midday on a Saturday, not a time you want to be on the only highway on Cape Cod, and his church was an hour's drive down the Cape from Provincetown, but his urgency was compelling. And I was taught that when a colleague asks, the answer is yes. And so I went. When I arrived, the sign in front of the church announced an event with a great paranormal who would be channeling a divine entity. I almost turned around then. This is so not my thing. And really, had I been invited because Ken thought I would like it? My plan was just to step inside, say hello to him, and slip away. He greeted me at the door with tremendous enthusiasm. I saw at once that he really hadn't needed me to come fill a seat. The place was packed. I had this distinctly uncomfortable fear that someone else would recognize me there. I stood just inside the door, plotting my escape. A nondescript middle-aged woman took a seat on the chancel. After Ken introduced her, she took questions from the crowd and offered comforting insights into people's concerns about loved ones who had died. Except that what she was saying was clearly comforting people, it was cringeworthy. I saw my opportunity, edged over to the door and began to lean back against it, hoping to open it just wide enough to slip out. Just then, the woman called out, where is the woman from the tip of this narrow land? I'm getting a message for her. Where are you? Please come up. Dying, dying. Ken stood in his seat in the front pew. Kim, she must mean you. Come on up. I made my way to the front, dying. The woman minced no words. You will serve in a time of war, she began. I remember thinking, great, now she's cursing me. So many people will face their deaths with terrible fear, she continued. But you will tell the truth about death, and you will comfort them. 
Death is so beautiful, she said. And these words were burned into my memory for good. We cannot know because there is work here that we must do. But I am telling you this, if we could even glimpse how beautiful life is beyond death, we would not fear death. We would long for it. Beloved spiritual companions, the angel of death is an angel. Death makes life so precious. May we cherish the ones we love. Chase meaning. Happiness will follow. End regret. Don't wait. Be grateful. And beloveds, be not afraid. While life is in us, let us love all we can. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. From Donna Markova, I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days, to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, more accessible to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch, a promise. I choose to risk my significance, to live so that which came to me as seed goes on to the next as blossom, and that which came to me as blossom goes on as fruit. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. I love you. Amen.
please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.